With the 14th pick in the 2019 NBA Draft, the Boston Celtics select Romeo Langford, Grant Williams, Carson Edwards, Tremont Waters, Vincent Poirier, Javante Green, Robert Williams III, Jimmy Ogilvy, right, Brad Wanamaker, Daniel Tice, Dennis Cantor, Taco Fall, Marcus Smart, Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, from the University of Connecticut. We are back with another episode of From the Raptors, this time with a lot of anxiety involved. Uh, Sam and I are here on the day of Game 7, and we're recording with Adam Taylor. Say what's up, Adam. How are you doing? I'm doing good, bro. I'm doing good. I'm, uh, I'm excited. I'm nervous. I'm petrified. I'm anxious. It's, uh, it's going to be a good game. Yeah. A lot of emotions, uh, I know, running wild for me, and I know Sam's nervous, too. Sam, how are you feeling? Uh, you know what's weird? I feel oddly confident today I, I don't know what it was after after thir- uh wednesday's game i don't know what it was i didn't have the normal like nervousness i just i don't know if it's just a calmness knowing like this is it regardless you know you don't have to after today you're not gonna have to deal with nick nurse or lowry or any yep. of them regardless of what happens uh, so that could certainly be it i don't know though it's such a strange feeling not being super over the top nervous though because that's usually how i am Hey, once we get around 8 o'clock, I feel like it'll set in because that's when I'm expecting it. But before we get into all that and the, the analytics and talking about the rotations and everything, uh, we like to open up with a little fun question. So, Adam, our question to you today is, uh, if you could have any player in the current NBA and put them on the Celtics, who would it be? It can be any player, superstar, bench player, for any reason you want. Just any player, put them on the Celtics. Give me John Morant. Give me who? Say that again. John Morant. John Morant. Interesting. Would you like to elaborate? Yeah, well, I would have gone Luka Doncic, but that's the easy way out. Um, <laughs> I could have gone, gone LeBron, Giannis. They're all the easy way out. I think Jar's ability to penetrate and really kind of elevate the game with his electric plays and his insane handles and crazy passes would really get, like, in a game against Toronto, like game five, Sorry, game four, I think it was, where the Celtics were really struggling to break down the perimeter defense. They were really struggling to get their offense going on the interior. A guy like Jar's going to be able to come in and elevate that interior offense and that penetration. I feel like he'd be perfectly suited alongside Jalen and Jason. Yeah, I like that. It fits the timeline well, too, uh, with the youth of Jalen and Jason, like you said. Sam, who would you pick? Um, Let's see. I have like a few different answers, but like, it's not cheating. It's just like for different levels. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I got so, you. Uh, so like a superstar, I feel like maybe like I think in, I like Embiid. He he might be a cancer, but I don't know. I feel like he would fit the culture here really well, and obviously he fills that spot that everyone thinks the Celtics need a center. So that would make them very, very well-rounded. Um, in terms of like a bench player, uh, I definitely want Isaiah just to have him. His uh, – yeah. I think he deserves a championship next time they win. You know what I mean? Like he deserves to be a part of it for sure. So that Isaiah would be my second answer. Yeah, I like both of those. Uh, Adam, you kind of stole mine. I was uh, choosing between John and a few other guys. So I'll go with my backup, I guess. I- I'd put Shea Gilgis-Alexander on the Thunder. I'd implement him here. I feel like he can run the one, run the two, like another diverse guard. Uh, we already have Smart. 
to run that role. But we, you throw Shea at the point, I feel like he'd be really good, you know, play some solid defense, create his own buckets if he needs to. But he also has the ability to just stand in the corner and hit a shot. So uh, I like him adding another depth guy uh, just with that youth. So, But um, like you said, Sam, if I had to choose someone for the bench, I really like Austin Rivers. Uh, I watched a few Rockets games this year, uh, notably in the first round. Uh, and I, I just like the way he plays, and he's going to be a free agent, so it's sort of realistic that the Celtics could go out and bring him back, I guess, if you want to say it like that. So, he was here for a few for days. a little bit. A few days, a few days. Um, but yeah, no, I like Austin, but uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander would be my top guy if I had to choose. But, uh, all that fantasy aside, the realism of the situation is that the Celtics play Game 7 against the Raptors tonight, and uh, as we've been saying, uh, we're all very nervous. Uh, the one thing I wanted to get out of the way at the beginning, Adam, I wanted to bring this up to you. <clears throat> the NBA last two-minute report, uh, Kemba got fouled. And um, that's just the whole thing going on uh, in the Twitter world. Everyone's all upset. Uh, what are your thoughts on the situation, like, just overall? Yeah, so I try to be kind of um, removed from the situation when I look at things like that. So the foul should have been called and Game 7 shouldn't have happened. And I don't know if we can swear on this podcast, but like that. Also, I'll go. Yeah, with go that. ahead. Go ahead. Fucking yeah, that that fucking destroyed me mentally. I was really pissed off. Um, <laughs> but then you look back and you're like, regardless of whether that foul call was made or not, if the Celtics aim to be champions, then they need to be able to win in spite of calls going against them and in spite of any form of negativity that can happen during the game, whether that be an injury or a, a tech at a very unfortunate moment in time. So they still should have closed that game out, and they've been struggling to finish tight games all through this series. So while that foul call, that non-foul call sucks ass, it was definitely not a reason to kind of say, well, the Celtics should have won here at this point because they should have gone on to close it out in overtime, in my opinion. I agree with Adam. I, I'm really big on the... As much as I will complain about it, because I like Adam said, the call was, you know, no, the no call was bad. But like, if you want to be the best, you need to win regardless. And I tweeted it like I think it might have been the night of the game after it happened. I said, as bad as the Celtics, uh, the refs might have been, the Celtics were just as bad when they needed a basket. I mean, they couldn't buy a basket down the stretch in overtime during regulation. It was ninety eight ninety eight in regulation for like the last two minutes. That's the way it ended. They had plenty of time to get a basket and go ahead, and they didn't do it. And I felt like going to Kemba might have been a little bit questionable, even though I respect Kemba's clutch ability uh, very much. It's just weird to me because he was struggling. And you had Jason Tatum, who really brought it in the second half, and Brown had a good game. So did Marcus. I don't know. I just feel like there were better options than Kemba at that point in time. But, yeah, you got to be able to close, regardless of the refs. I mean, anytime the ref is able to impact the game, the game was close enough to where the Celtics should have been able to win on their own. So... That's my take. That you gotta win anyways, just yeah, like Adam said. You brought that up a lot to me uh, after the game, Sam. When we were talking, you were like, "The Celtics need to close out," and I agree. That's uh, it. The little uh, Powell travel too. That was just like icing on the cake. Like both missed calls in the two-minute report were against the Celtics. So uh, obviously, obviously, it was like a dagger to the heart that uh, the refs. It, everyone complains about the refs in general, but to see that the refs actually messed up was just. Uh, even more pain after the the loss in double overtime, but like like you said, it, it's in the end, it's Boston's fault for not being able to close out. Uh, Sam, you brought up Kemba and how he was struggling um, at the end of the game. They went to him 
He got a, a layup. He missed it. Should have gotten fouled. That is what it is. Uh, Adam, if you were Brad Stevens, who would you have gone to at the end of that game? Would it have been Kemba despite his struggles, or would you have gone to one of the Jays? I mean, Kemba's got that reputation of closing in big moments. That's what he did at UConn. That's what he was brought in to do in the Celtics. So when you've got a guy that's a renowned closer and a big-time shot maker, and you've got a couple of seconds left on the clock for a game-winning shot, then you go to Kemba because that's why you pay him a max contract. Whether or not, if that happened again today and the Celtics had, say, 10 seconds on the clock and it's tied up or they're down by one, maybe they decide to try and go with Tatum. But Kemba, for me, is a shooter and he has that shooter's mentality, so you should give him the ball and let him get to work again. Yeah, cardiac Kemba, I mean, that is what they call him. Sam, what do you think about that whole situation? I mean, I I understood why they went to Kemba, and I agree with Adam. He has... The clutch gene, he's always been clutch. That's why they brought him in. So I, I usually do feel confident with him with the ball in his hands. And in fairness to him, he got a good look, and he, he did get fouled, according to the report. So there's no knock on Kemba for what he did. It's just unfortunate the way it happened. Yeah, it's tough. He, he drove hard to the rim, super aggressive, got in there, uh, right into the teeth of the defense. So like you said, you can't really fault Kemba. Uh, but speaking of that aggressiveness, uh, obviously, Kemba had a rough game. He only ended up scoring five points the whole night, which is uh, it's tough for one of your top guys on offense. So, Adam, what does Kemba need to do to be more effective? Is it as simple as just taking more shots and being more aggressive, or is there, like, more levels to it? Yeah, so I want to be quite honest here, man. I'm going to take a little bit of the blame for this. A couple of games ago, I wrote about Jalen Brown having, like, this ridiculous um, two-way performance. The next game, he comes out and stinks to play, so... Then before the last game, about two hours before, I released an article on Celtics blog about Kemba and the way he was penetrating and elevating the Celtics offense. Next thing you know, he comes out and has a stinker <laughs> game. So I haven't wrote anything about any Celtics player against the Raptors today because... You're right about how good Lowry's been. Yeah, yeah uh, this is what <laughs> hey, I said. Baca. Or I should talk about how shit someone's been and then they're going to come out and go off. <laughs> like, um, But I think that he just needs to get back to penetrating. The, thing, the problem is and it's, both teams kind of struggle with this equally, is once you get past the perimeter defense on either team, their bigs are so, like, they don't have the defensive, I wouldn't say IQ, discipline, defensive discipline, to really close out on a driving guard while not over-helping. So if Kemba can start getting deep in on those drives and facilitating to ties with dumb pass or hitting the skip pass to the weak side corner, then that's going to open up a lot of um, secondary drive opportunities. It's going to open up a lot of open freeze. And that's kind of how the Celtics blew out the Raptors in game five. five. It was a lot of dribble drive penetration followed by a kick out or a secondary drive. And if they they can get that working and not stand around too much, get that off-ball movement happening, then they've got more than a good chance of coming out of this game um, with the W. The only thing... Outside of that is you need to make sure you're hiding Kemba on D. And they do that usually by putting him on whoever's in the weak side corner and then usually having like Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum on the wing on the weak side so they can quickly rotate and scramble Kemba out of that defensive possession if the ball makes its way over. Yeah, Kemba definitely got attacked, especially uh, near the end of the game. That was actually my next, my next point. Uh, so, Sam, I'll go to you with this one. How did the Celtics do a better job of hiding Kemba on defense. Because obviously, like Adam said, they put him in the corner. They make sure to switch everything, keep him on the 
uh, weak side guy or uh, however it is just to get Jalen, Jason and Marcus on the best perimeter players uh, for Toronto. So do you think they can do more to prevent Kemba from being in a situation like we saw the other night where he's on Lowry and Lowry's able to just shoot over him, even though Lowry's like five foot 10, but get a mid range shot over him. (laughs) Exactly. They are both really short, but uh, Sam, what else do you think that Boston can do to sort of hide him? You mentioned the switches. I think there's, they need to stop switching with Kemba without like really trying to fight through the screen first. Cause like you see it happen and like, Nobody's fighting through screens. They're just kind of saying, all right, we'll switch, which is fine. But then you get Kemba in those situations like we saw at the end of the game. Like, people were complaining, oh, why is Kemba guarding Lowry? Well, it's because they switched. That's why. That was not the game plan, but, you know, he was there. I, I don't love switching unless you have to. I, well, in that kind of situation. When you have a defensive lineup with, like, Marcus and then Grant Williams – and, you know, a switchable lineup where everyone is going to be playing defense, fine. But when you have a liability, you kind of have to – maybe maybe they could play a zone if they really want to hide him, put him at the top of the key on that, and then the help will be there because it's a zone. I don't know. It's a good question. It's definitely tough. Adam, what do you think about anything else Boston can do to hide Kemba if necessary? Yeah, so a zone is a good option. Uh, running like a 2-1-2 two, two zone, having Kemba at the perimeter – that's worked in um, short stints. They, they've used that 2-1-2 two, two zone press as well. And then they might go box and one for a little bit of time. I know that the Raptors have gone box and one quite regularly and saw some success. And then Boston kind of did it to kind of give the Raptors a little bit of a taste of their own medicine and stifled a few of their um, deep ball attempts. My biggest issue with all of this is the way that they're rotating for Kemba off pick and pop situations at the top of the perimeter so when Kemba's guarding the opposing guard because he's had like um, Sam said like a real bad switch then instead of kind of switching early the big that's meant to be guarding Ibaka will like dig real deep and over help and then right. the dump pass come in and that's where Ibaka's getting those wide open frees because it's like a it's meant to be a stunt it turns into a dig because it goes into the post and then all of a sudden it's just a blitz uh, it's real bad defensive discipline and it's giving Ibaka wide open threes. So if they're going to run Kemba, then you either keep him in the weak side corner with a very good off-ball defender like Jason Tatum, ready to rotate over when needed and try and kill those passing lanes, or you put him in a 2-1-2 zone or a box on one zone and see what you can kind of get working there. Yeah, it's tough because I don't even think Kemba's necessarily a, a bad defender. He's just painfully... I don't a- either. Average. He's undersized. It, which... Yeah, exactly. And when you have guys like Jalen, Marcus, and Jason out there who are, I would argue, great or elite defenders, uh, that's obviously the weak link. So the Raptors are going to attack him, and that's exactly what they did. Uh, but you guys mentioned zone and box and one and all of these alternative defenses. So I wanted to flip the switch a little bit and talk about what would happen when the Raptors eventually run that. Because we saw in game five, or no, four. I'm losing track, but the game the Celtics lost by a lot. It was game four now remembering correctly, uh, Raptors ended up running a lot of zone and the Celtics couldn't beat it because they couldn't make their shots. Uh, If the Celtics start off the game cold, God forbid, what do they have to do in order to get out of that mentality where they're trying to hit home run threes uh, and just beat the zone defense by doing anything they can and then they end up in a panic and then obviously a result like game four happens. Uh, What do you think they have to do, Adam, to avoid that situation if they start off cold? The Celtics have been winning the interior battle over the last couple of games. 
I think personally that they need to move away from that three-point shot early, get going on the interior where they know that they're having regular success, and then slowly build back out to the three-point line. If they start off cold, it means they're trying, as you had said, they're trying to hit home run three balls at the beginning. And they've done that throughout the entire regular season as well, and it's been incredibly frustrating. They've got the the personnel, they've got the length, they've got the size to re- and the switchability to really hurt teams off the drive, especially in that mid-range and then the, like across the low helpline and then down at the room as well. So for me, it's all about coming in with the game plan of attack the paint, attack the glass, try and get secondary rebounds, make sure you're boxing out on offensive rebounds as well. And then eventually what you'll see is the defense starts collapsing and that's when you start hitting your swing passes, your skip passes are back out to the perimeter and start looking for your free ball once you've already got a bit of an offensive flow to you. I would rather them do that from the beginning, to be quite honest. I wouldn't like that to be their secondary option. That should be their primary option because that's where they're having the most success. Yeah, in game four, that was the only reason they were in the game at all. Like the, Their ability to drive to the paint, I know specifically Tatum has been really good at that this year. Uh, Brown was really good at that in the regular season, but uh, ever since the playoffs started, he's just chucking up threes. And while, while for the most part they go in at a good clip, it's games like game four when he's struggling that we really miss that uh, aggressive Jalen uh, that we saw in the regular season. Sam, what do you think about the Celtics game plan against the zone or just in general if they start off cold? So I really feel like the best thing they can do is control what they can control. You can't – sometimes the shots don't fall, right? And Adam made a great point saying to go inside, but I feel like it all starts on the defensive end too because you can control the defense you play regardless of whether the shots are going in. That's where you have to bring it. You know you can control defense. That's where you have to win the game. Make sure Toronto struggles too. If you're struggling, they have to struggle too. Yeah, the defense really has been the anchor of this series. Uh, the only reason that the Celtics are able to stay in games where they do go on these large cold stretches that we have seen throughout the series um, is because of their defense. And uh, Marcus Smart's hustle plays, Tatum jump, jumping the passing lanes, everything's coming together really well on that end. Uh, it, it's just times like in the fourth quarter of, uh, I believe it was game three, uh, when the Raptors got really hot. And then all throughout game four when the Raptors were hot. Uh, closing out on those three-point shooters is super important. <clears throat> but uh, moving on to something else I wanted to talk about. Uh, obviously, Nick Nurse in the corner, uh, a little bit on the court. I thought it was lame, but the last two-minute <laughs> report— a little bit. <clears throat> yeah, a little bit. Uh, the last two-minute report said there was nothing wrong with it. Uh, Adam, thoughts on Nick Nurse being on the court, kind of looking at Jason Tatum, waiting for the pass almost? You know, I came into this series with— uh... Nothing but respect for Nick Nurse. Big, big respect for Nick Nurse. <laughs> Me too. You and Me Jack too. both. <laughs> I have completely and utterly lost respect for this guy. The way he carries himself on the court is nothing but petulant. All the way through the series, he's been arguing on the refs, working the refs. And I'm not one to blame the refs, but I'll blame somebody that's chewing somebody out every time a call goes against you. Like, and then you have him in the corner, and he, he's doing what he's doing, kind of ranting and raving, doing saying whatever he's saying. And then Tatum thinks he's a Celtic and throws the ball out of bounds. Now, the one thing I will say is Tatum needs to get checked for color blindness because Nick Nurse was not wearing a green jersey. So regardless <laughs> of if you see a body in the corner, then, dude, um, you need to not pass to a guy that's not wearing green. That's a bad call on your behalf. So I get that. But, yeah, I've lost a ton of respect for Nick Nurse in the way he carries himself. I still think he's a fantastic coach. 
but the way he carries himself around the roster like throughout a game is uh, very petulant in my eyes. I couldn't agree more. I tweeted out, uh, you remember when Nick Nurse won the Coach of the Year Award, they had his high school coach uh, come on and present it. I thought it was really sweet. Uh, I liked it, the whole moment. And I tweeted out, how can you not love Nick Nurse? And Sam retweeted that and said, I'll let you know in two weeks. And man, the worst take of my life was tweeting that because I've just been getting so much shit for it. And it's true because Nick Nurse is ridiculous. Like, I don't understand how he can be complaining after every single call. Like, it's literally everything. It's gotten to the point where I'm watching the game with my mom. And I'm like, hey, mom, watch this. That coach, see, after every foul, he's going to be complaining. The camera's going to cut to him. And without fail, it always just cuts to Nick Nurse. And I can't. I just can't anymore. I'm sick of it. Sam, <laughs> thoughts on Nick Nurse? Well, it's funny. I just kind of – I didn't know he was a big complaint. I hate whiny people when I watch basketball. That's why I don't like LeBron. Um, but, yeah, like watching – Watching this series has made me so like frustrated with all of it. Like I hate, hate, hate watching people whine. And it's even worse when they start to get calls because of their complaining. Like he complained after game two about Tatum getting a bunch of free throws. And ever since then, Tatum hasn't been able to get to the line very much. And when he has, he hasn't really made them. Um, but yeah, you deserve all the shit you get for that. And um, yeah, I honest to God, I hope they win so bad tonight. Just, just to end that team season. Oh, I hate them. I don't hate them because they're, you know, giving the Celtics hard. I hate them because they complain. I agree. Nick Nurse and Kyle Lowry is like the Batman and Robin of whining to the refs. I, I can't stand it, but, but we can stop talking about them because we're here to talk about the Celtics and not complain about the Raptors as much as I need to do my deep breathing exercises to stop yelling, but it's okay. You guys both brought up uh, Tatum's uh, issues over the past few games, one of them being the turnovers, in my opinion, and the other one being missed free throws. Uh, those are huge. Like we saw Tatum turning the ball over, uh, trying to pass to Nick Nurse. Uh, but e- even in transition in general, Tatum ends up pushing the ball past every single Celtic and going into a 1v5 mess where he just ends up giving the ball back up to Toronto instead of converting uh, transition baskets. What do you think is more important, Adam. Tatum slowing the ball down or the other Celtics running faster to catch up to Tatum? Like, what does he have to do to cut down on the turnovers? For me, it's Tatum slowing the ball down. He's He's got the ISO dribbles. He's got the ISO moves to be able to create his own shot. And they're running him as a primary pick-and-roll creator now. So for that, he needs to let the game come to him a little bit more, slow it down. If you come off a screen and a pass isn't there and a shot isn't there, then... You know, go back into an ISO move, wait for an, a re-screen to be set up, maybe come off a stagger screen, see what's available, and then react. At the moment, it feels like he's trying to react before he's really got a, gra- um, a, gr- a grip. There we go. Before he's really got a grip on what's going on around him on the floor. And that's leading to a lot of those turnovers. So if they're going to use him and really kind of push him to develop that playmaking ability, then the first thing he needs to do is slow back down and go at a pace where he can read and react to everything that's going on, and then eventually he'll be able to speed that up naturally through progression. Not just jump straight into trying to be a primary creator at full speed right now, because it just isn't working, so you go back to the drawing board and you start building back up from the bottom. Yeah, I mean, slowing the ball down, getting in the flow of the offense, I think is super important. I think Tatum's just too... 
Uh, he's getting ahead of himself, trying to get a quick bucket. Sam, what do you think about Tatum's turnovers and how he can cut down on them? I think he needs to just slow down, man. Like, he he tries to go through the whole team sometimes, and he ends up losing the ball. I've never seen him lose the ball this much. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I try to defend him because obviously you want quick buckets, but it, it's tough when he just gives the ball up over and over again. No, you there's no problem with quick buckets. It's It's just that he's just... He's making bad decisions sometimes, and it really mm-hmm. screws him. Yeah. He loses his dribble at speed as well. Like, he's got a really tight handle when he's stationary and he goes ISO. Uh, the majority of his turnovers throughout the season have been during fast break opportunities. He's, his handle just isn't tight enough at speed. And that was something that really was an issue for Jalen Brown last year, and he tightened it up over the offseason. But this year, it's Tatum. And we're seeing this whenever he drives, his handle's that little bit looser because he's trying to handle the ball at speed. And then he's getting plucked or he's running into traffic and not gathering the ball quick enough. Or he'll gather the ball and just run straight into a brick wall. So it is all down to just slowing the game down, getting your handle under control, and then reacting to exactly whatever's going on on the floor. A lot of blitzes are coming his way at the moment. So if he's operating slower, he's going to see the open man easier than if he's going 100 miles an hour. And to Tatum's credit, uh, you mentioned the blitz and seeing the floor. I feel like he's done a pretty good job at uh, handling double teams. I know that's something he worked on. So I'm glad to see he's starting to grit, uh, get greater vision. He's had a lot of assists this series compared to what he's used to. But he does certainly need to be better at controlling the ball when he's under pressure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I got into an argument uh, with a guy on Twitter about Luka Doncic versus Jason Tatum. Uh, and someone said, yeah, I would trade one for one. Uh, easily, I would give up Tatum for Lucas straight up any day of the week. And obviously, I disagreed with that. Maybe it's some bias. Well, obviously, it's some bias. But uh, I-, I argued that the defense that Tatum has uh, gives him not even a slight edge, because I do think Luca is the better player right now, but more potential in the future to be a better player on both ends. Uh, and his comeback was, well, the playmaking is just ridiculous. And as we've seen throughout these playoffs, I feel like Tatum is developing those playmaking skills uh, to the point where he can be a solid playmaker and primary ball handler uh, in the Celtics offense. Um, that being said, you guys mentioned on the transition, Tatum is kind of being wild and just making crazy decisions, which leads me exactly into my next point uh, about Brad Wanamaker, because that's what he was doing throughout the entirety of the regular season. Uh, he has slowed it down and played much better in these playoffs. Uh, and I, I was reading, uh, Adam, your newsletter, the Clover Disclosure, uh, and all about Brad Wanamaker today uh, and if the Celtics should bring him back. But my question first is, how big a role is Wanamaker going to play in Game 7 tonight? I mean, he's averaging what's his usage rate at the moment. During the playoffs, I think his usage rate is about 14.5%. That's off the top of my head, so I might have missed that by a percent or two, but we're splitting hairs at that point. I think you're going to see quite a little bit of Wanamaker. He's, as Kemba Walker said in a post-game presser, I think it was after game two, um, they view him as a as a leader off the bench. They view him as one of the veterans on the team. He brings that calming presence, and he's having the series of his life right now. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw, but myself and Wanamaker had a little bit of an exchange a few weeks back on Twitter. I didn't um, see that. He wasn't <laughs> I didn't see what it. happened. Um, good exchange or bad exchange, Adam? Uh, it was a bit of a bad exchange. Uh, it oh, ended no. good, but yeah. Basically, he screwed up um, a fast break opportunity, and I think it was against uh, Philadelphia. 
So me in frustration tweeted out if you want to kill your if you if you want to kill a team's fast break opportunity then just put the ball in one of Maker's hands. Um, didn't tag him. He still didn't find a way to see. Um, and then obviously he came back and we had a discussion. But against Toronto, he's been phenomenal. He's really making the right read every time up the floor. Defensively, he's a little bit of a liability, but he's not as much of a liability as Kemba. I don't think you're going to see him put up huge numbers, but I think you'll see him lug anywhere between 14 to 20 minutes in this game. Maybe I think Wanamaker has been much better this series. Uh, you know, I completely agree. He was He's had a tough postseason when it comes to his uh, passing vision, especially on the break. He doesn't like to slow down. He likes to just take it to the hole, which this series worked out better, but last series it wasn't working for him, and so that's why we noticed it more. Um, but he, he's been making his shots, man. You really can't complain. I think he would be um, a lot better if he was the secondary ball handler off the bench. He wasn't primarily handling the ball, and it would lead to way more opportunities for other people. Like if Marcus has the ball as the guard, I think the team runs a lot better. I think Mark's got great vision. And I think a big part of that is not having Gordon Hayward because you have to think of the Very whole true. after effect. Because if Hayward's starting, then Smart is coming off the bench. That way Smart is getting the ball. Wanamaker's in the corner shooting threes or just on the wing, not handling it. And that team is so much better. Uh, I wish Brad Wanamaker was just a few inches taller. That way he could be an effective shooting guard. Uh, and I think he would fit that position much, much better. Uh, either way, though, he has been really solid, especially in this Raptors series. I remember in Game 5, when the Celtics blew them out, it was the starters and Brad Wanamaker scoring essentially every single point of the game. So uh, a huge shout-out to him and his play so far. Uh, Adam, you mentioned it in your newsletter, but is he going to be on the team next year, in your opinion, or should he be? Honestly, I, I didn't give my own opinion in the newsletter because I just don't know. I feel like there's okay. going to be a lot of guards available in the draft that are going to fit Jason and Jalen's timeline a lot better than, obviously, what a nearly 32-year-old guard who's coming into his second full season in the NBA would. They're also going to be on similar contracts to what he's on, but they're going to be tied down for a lot longer under cost-controlled deals. They just don't bring the experience and the calmness and the reliability that Wanamaker does. So I wouldn't be shocked if the Celtics extend him his qualifying offer in, this, in the, I would say, summer, but in the off-season. Uh, whether or not another team comes in and makes an offer that the Celtics don't want to match is a different question, and that's why I'm not sure whether he'll stay. But I do feel like he's got value for the deal that he, he's on at the moment, and he, if he was to accept his qualifying offer, which I think is like 1.8 million, then for that sort of money, he brings huge um, upside in terms of value. Yeah, it's definitely a tough decision, like you said, with the draft coming up. Obviously, the Celtics have a bunch of picks. Uh, lots of guards in this draft and similar contracts. So uh, it's a big give and take, especially with uh, the Kemba and Gordon timeline versus the Jays timeline. Uh, Sam, what are your thoughts on Wanamaker being back next season? Yes or no? Uh, I personally, it's a tough call, like Adam says, because he is old, right? But I, I think he does bring good experience because he's been playing professionally for so long overseas and stuff like that. I feel like he, we might see one more year of Watermaker. We've talked about this before, and then maybe you see Carson Edwards or Tremont Waters step into that backup role instead of Wanamaker. Maybe they'll be ready after another year. See, the only question with Tremont is, does he does he take a second year in a, with a two-way contract? Because That's at the moment, point. he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. In It could be tomorrow, as far as we know. Do you know what I mean? If we're being real, he could be a free agent as quick as tomorrow. 
the Celtics, are they really going to give up one of their roster spots on bringing him back without moving? You know, are they going to, because to bring Tremont in means you're moving on from Wanamaker now because otherwise you're filling another roster spot with another young guy, but you don't really add anything to the team of like a position of need. So it, it gets really murky really quickly. Uh, I'm assuming there's going to be a player personnel type consolidation trade where they try and move on from at least two of these guys and try and open up a couple of roster spots of that. Um, but their cap space is so negligible that maybe they choose to run it back again next year. It's a it's a really difficult call on this one, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. It's super nice tough. Voice crack there. <laughs> I really like Tremont, especially how he did in the scrimmage games this season. So it's hard for me to picture him not on the Celtics next season. But with the big contract they gave Carson Edwards uh, at the start of the season, it's t- definitely tough having two really small developing guards on the roster. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. I was going to do this at the end of the episode, but since we're in that discussion anyways, I wanted to play a little game with you guys. Uh, Basically, essentially, uh, that's the same word. (laughs) I'm going to give you a player, uh, and you have to tell me yes or no if he's going to be on the roster next season. Uh, You can give a little explanation too, but uh, it's going to boil down to a yes or no question. So uh, we're going to start with Ennis Cantor. Adam, is he going to be on the roster next season? Yes. Uh, he's got a player option. It's worth around about $5 million. I put a tweet out that was apparently very poorly received. Uh, so, you know, everyone has a bad take from here and here and there. Uh, that I think that on the open market, he could probably look between 7 and 10 for a, a one-year deal for a team that just needs rebounding while they wait for next season's draft where it's going to be high upside. Uh, I hadn't taken into account COVID and the way the salary cap's going to fluctuate because of that. So I see him opting into his player option and then starting the season with the Celtics. Finishing it with them is going to be a completely different question. Okay, okay. I I can see that happening. Maybe a trade. Uh, I like where your head's at. What do you think, Sam? Yes or no? Ennis Cantor. See, I was no, but then Adam explained it the way he did with the COVID and the uh, salary cap. So I I have to agree he probably would opt in. But I was going to say no because I just – feel like he's not getting enough time here. I mean, I feel like he's like a good situational player here, but I feel like they might want to go to Robert Williams more next season, especially he'll probably be a little bit more polished after getting these playoff minutes. It'll be interesting to see him get time in the regular season. Yeah, it's definitely tough with, like you said, the emergence of Robert Williams. Uh, and Daniel Tice's just overall Swiss Army knife uh, way he plays. He's kind of good for a little bit of everything, so... We'll move on to the next player. Semi Ojale. Adam, yes or no? My head says yes. My heart says no. Um, for me, personally, I don't think Shemi's shown enough improvement over his time with the Celtics to show that he's going to be a long-term piece. I don't feel like... Um, again, I think that's another... I'm not too sure. I need to double-check this, which I will in a moment. But I'm pretty sure that's another qualifying offer situation, similar to... Um, Brad Wanamaker, where the Celtics can extend that qualifying offer and then Sherry becomes a restricted free agent. Whether or not another team sees value in having a free and D guy like Sherry and they can offer him more minutes trying to try and coax a little bit more development and a little bit more scalability out of him, that's uh, a good question. But I feel like with Grant Williams now hitting the free, um, similar body types, Grant's more stucky than he is like ripped and jacked like Sherry. <laughs> but um, to me, Grant's just everything you wanted Shemi to be and more. I don't personally envision him being brought back. 
I, I can see that. I was really hoping for more from Shemi because uh, he is that great defender who guarded Giannis a couple years ago. Uh, he showed some promise with the three this season, but ever since the playoffs started, the three just hasn't really been there, and we kind of see him decline. Uh, Sam, what do you think? Yes or no for Shemi? I think it's a no, too. It, it, for me, I, I really like Shemi. I just think he hasn't performed well enough uh, You know, as of late. People are really looking for him to be a better three-point shooter, and he's really not done that. So, I, I mean, I wish he had, but it feels like the time's up for Shemi. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. He's gotten a lot of time. He was Tatum's draft class, so the, the road's coming to an end, I think, on him. Yeah, and it is a qualifying offer job, so they can mm-hmm. extend him. He's going in with a, a $1.7 million um, like cap hold. And then if the Celtics offer the qualifying offer, that'll be the base offer that they offer him for one more year before he goes into unrestricted free agency. If he declines that, then he goes into unrestricted free agency straight away. If he accepts the qualifying offer, then obviously other teams can extend an offer sheet. Yeah, I feel like we could see a situation like uh, Abdel Nader, uh, who's on the Thunder now, where another team picks him up. He fits fits a very small niche on that team. And plays his role well because Nader has been playing pretty well for OKC this season. Or he did when OKC was still playing. But anyways, we'll do one more of this game and then we'll move on to the the next thing involving Game 7. Adam, Javante Green, yes or no? I really, really wish I could say yeah. Um, But I'm going to have to say no. Simply because there's, again, there's a roster crunch. There's a bunch of guys on this roster that pretty much do the same thing that they need a true a true shooter a true like pure scorer off the bench then and as good as Javante is and as electric as he is and as much as I said I'd like Ja Morant on the team for being able to build the team up through electric plays Javante is not at that level he did show an ability to stretch the floor a little bit before tearing his meniscus but I just don't think he will have a role on the Celtics next season, especially once growth from a couple of the rookies. And I'd rather see Romeo's path to the floor be, be a little bit easier. So I just don't see him being brought back personally. However, I do think he's earned enough. He's showed enough to earn a spot in the league somewhere else. I agree. It's really tough, especially because, like you said, he hasn't really shown too much ability to stretch the floor uh, up until very recently. So, uh, Sam, what do you think? Yes or no on Javante? Uh, I think it's also a no. He's he's a little bit older than, I guess, the age they're looking for. There's definitely people they could pick up with their three first-round draft picks that they're going to have if they don't trade them. So I feel like having Javante is just not best for what they're trying to do, unfortunately, because I like Javante as well. I think he's a great player. I think he he brings an energy to the team when he comes in. He's you know, we all were sold on him after the first preseason game. He went like 10 for 10. He had 20 points, all dunks. So it's going to be sad to see him go, but I'm sure he'll find a home somewhere. I hope so. I think the issue with this year's Celtics team, like, well, last year we saw the departure of Aaron Baines, which was sad, Al Horford, which was sad, all, all these pieces leaving. But personally, I fell in love with the Celtics team this season. Uh, and so it's tough to see anybody go, even the little pieces like Javante, like Shemi, uh, that you've grown to love. So. Uh, although I do love them, I, I would agree that Shemi and Javante are most likely not going to be on the team next season uh, because they want people that fit the time on, uh, timeline of the Jays better. But uh, circling back around to the Game 7 tonight, uh, my next thing that I wanted to talk about was, was uh, 
Daniel Tice versus Robert Williams. We've seen the emergence of Rob, uh, but then again in Game Six, Daniel Tice was really, really good. So, uh, Adam, how do you think those minutes are going to be split up for Game Seven? I think we're going to see more of the same. Robert Williams is showing that he's more of an energy guy off the bench at this point. He doesn't have the defensive discipline to not get put in a blender off pick and rolls. Against Philadelphia, he was showing a real bit of real bit of growth in terms of not biting on every pump fake, and that's regressed in this series. And the Raptors are exploiting that because they're a smart team, they're a well-coached team, they're a championship-winning team. So they're looking for every chink in the armor possible. I definitely think Rob Williams will still get large minutes, but I don't see it changing much from what we've seen leading up to this point in the series. He's going to be coming off the bench and he's going to be asked to set hard screens, roll to the basket, offer some vertical spacing, and just stop biting on every fucking pump fake, man. <laughs> it's definitely tough to watch, especially with Serge Ibaka just nailing them from outside. But uh, Sam, what are your thoughts on Tice versus Rob? I, I think uh, Tice is the clear starter. I mean, Robert Williams is a great player in his role, but I don't think there's any need to, you know, change what Tice is doing. Tice was great last game, as you mentioned. I mean, you can't complain with Tice. I mean, he's just, he does it all for you. Yeah, I agree. Defensively, he was amazing uh, in the previous games. It's it, it's tough to pick a weakness for Tice, although there obviously are some. I think he's just very solid at everything, uh, not great in any one thing, which is, I mean, I mean, it does the job. Like Sam, I think you he's always a pretty say, good finisher. If you had to yeah. pick one thing, I think he's really good at finishing. Yeah, I mean, uh, Sam, you always say that you can't really point to a game this season and say, yeah, we lost that game because the Celtics didn't have a center. So uh, you can't really complain with what Tyson's done. Uh, that being said, uh, moving forward, Adam, you talked a lot about the two timelines. You got the Kemba and Hayward timeline versus the Jason and Jalen timeline. When do you sort of see the switch up at the center spot starting to happen? Like, when do you think Rob could like go into that starting lineup and Tyson come off the bench? Uh, or do you see something else completely different happening uh, when the timeline starts to shift? I mean, there's always the opportunity that a big falls to the Celtics that really fits what they're trying to do, whether that be in the draft, free agency, or a trade. So for me, what I'm, I'm looking at it to be the start of the 2021-2022 season, where if we're operating a vacuum of just Tice and Rob Williams and no trades or no bigs are drafted, then not next year, but the year after is when I see that switch being made. Simply because it gives Rob Williams a year to stay injury-free, prove he can stay injury-free, prove that he can continue to grow, continue to scale his skill set before making that switch into the team with the starters. If he has another injury riddle season next year, then I think the Celtics will start looking to move on from him because that's three years on the bounce that he's had injury issues throughout the regular season. So I wouldn't say right now it's a luck that he's going to become their centre of the future. But if it was going to happen and it would, we're talking timelines, then that's one more season away before that switch happens, in my opinion. Yeah, I can see that. There's a lot of holes uh, with Rob's game, obviously, like you said, jumping at the pump fakes, uh, not being able to close out in time. And obviously the injuries have been uh, rough throughout the past few years. Sam, what do you think about that switch? Do you think it happens? Do you think the Celtics find another guy? When do you think it happens? Just overall thoughts on the Rob versus Tice going into the future. I feel like to get rid of Tice, you really have to find like a gem to want to do that. I personally, moving, I think Tice is... even moving him to the bench, just not even getting. Yeah, I mean, it would have to take something really special, or I don't know how to put it, but I I wouldn't really 
want to move on from Tice super easily unless they have like an absolute beast waiting for him instead of Tice. Like a James yeah. Wiseman. Exactly. Maybe. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> uh, imagine if James Wiseman fell to the Celtics. That'd just be, that'd be beautiful. Adam, do I you think, think there's rumors right now? Yeah. Do you think they trade up to go get him with their three picks? Do you think? Well, the one rumor that I've seen very regularly coming out of the Golden State camp, I don't know if you guys have seen that rumor, is um, 14 plus Marcus Smart to straight trade with uh, Golden I don't know State about for the that. second pick. Now, for the second not, pick? Golden State have the second pick or the first? They have the first, right? Second. No, second. Second. Yeah, second. That's, yeah, no, yeah, that's just second. crazy to me. Wow. Yeah, and a lot of people have been speaking about this. It's on multiple different Golden State podcasts. It's been on multiple different Golden State websites. Um, obviously, through like fan sites, through to like SB Nation sites, through to Lockdown Warriors. Um, it's been a recurring theme. I personally see the reasoning behind what they're saying when I remove myself from the Celtics situation. Um, in terms of like moving smart, what you're doing is you're saying, right, his value is never going to be higher to hit on a trade with him. He's going, you know, he has, what, one more year, two more years left before he goes into a contract renewal discussion where you might get priced out of what you're willing to pay anyway because of his value now as a two-time all-defensive first-team guy. By then, he'll probably be a three- or four-time all-defensive first-team. His scoring ability, the cap, the cap crunch that the Celtics are under anyway with the amount of money they have guaranteed elsewhere – if you were going to trade smart, then maybe you do it for a James Wiseman. I understand what they're saying, but I do think that smart plus 14 is kind of a big outlet to bring back the second pick for a guy that didn't really play any college ball all year. I mean, no one played any college ball all year, but everyone played more than James Wiseman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know if I'd be able to remove myself from loving smart that much, but from an outsider's perspective, I feel like that's not a lot. Uh, to give up to get the second overall pick. Like, I guess Smart is an all-defensive player. Like, he is that guy, and he could fit in nicely at the two-spot for Golden State. Like, you run Curry, then him, then Clay. But it, it just doesn't seem like enough if I'm the Warriors, if that's weird for me to say as a Celtics fan. But uh, if anything, I'd ask for more. I'm not saying I would give up more uh, if I'm Danny Ainge, but uh, it's weird to me that the Warriors would accept a deal like that for the second overall pick. I, I feel like they would go in somewhere else. I think it's more to be more about what can what's on the market that can come in, shore up your defense and really put you back in contention from day one without having to develop a rookie or without having to bring in a bad contract as well as a good one to make the money work or whatever it may be. Um, a simple Marcus Smart plus 14 means you can pick up a scalable rookie with the 14th pick on a much lower deal than what the second round than what the number two overall pick's going to get. So you're saving cap room there, and you're bringing in a two-time all-defensive first-team guard that's going to really help accentuate Curry's offensive game without really screwing him over in the pick-and-roll coverages. No, yeah, I guess that does make sense. Uh, Sam, let's go to you here. What do you think about trading Marcus? No, I just feel like you can't trade Marcus. Like I feel like he's the closest thing we have to a cap, even though Kemba's a great leader the closest thing we really have to a captain here. And I don't know. It's just, I, I just don't like it. It would have to be a sure thing. I don't want to trade him for a rookie. You know what I mean? You don't, there's no guarantee with a rookie. Marcus is just too special of a yeah. player. I think to really get rid of him. 
Yeah, it's tough, especially with the whole Celtics nation behind them. I feel like that would be – I feel like it could be worse than the trading of Isaiah Thomas. Like, Marcus March has been here through thick and it's thin. It's similar. Yeah. It's similar. similar. But isn't that what makes it seem so possible, that it's such yeah. a Danny Ainge trade to make? Yeah, which is scary. <laughs> that scares me because Danny Ainge is a psycho, and I love him for it. But he's he's a maniac, and he'll do whatever it uh, is necessary to make the Celtics better, regardless of if the fans – uh, get behind it because in the end the fans are always behind Danny Ainge because all the trades he make work uh, makes work out for the most part so I suppose we'll have to see what happens uh, on the draft night whenever it is whenever offseason happens but uh, we'll have to see moving forward <clears throat> bring it bring it back around one final time to game seven uh, what's the most important thing to remember tonight Adam for game seven for the Celtics for the Raptors just the most important thing uh, for a Celtics victory to happen? What do they have to do? It comes down to smart shot creation, in my opinion. Uh, making the extra pass. Make it, the, the Celtics blew the Raptors out in Game 5 because of their ball movement, in my opinion. They were continually making that extra pass. They were looking for each other to create shots for each other instead of create shots for themselves. And then the floor was opening up for them to go a little bit ISO to get their driving kicks, to get whatever they wanted on the floor. So for me, it's coming out with high intensity and really working as a team and looking for that best next best shot opportunity. If they do that from the get-go, then the Raptors aren't going to be able to hang with that team through the first two quarters, in my opinion. I, I would say it's the defense because, I mean, you, you may come out and want to... I mean, Adam, you said intensity, so you're on the same page too. But, like, if you were to – someone was to say, like, they need to be really great on offense in terms of shooting, you said ball movement, which is absolutely key. But defense is something you can always control regardless if the ball is going in for you or not. You can come out, you can play hard, and you can make sure you give it your all, and that's what they need to do. Obviously, it's game seven. It's not like a super um, hot take from me, but, I mean, defense, they can control it, so they need to go and do it. Yeah, the defense has been a huge part, uh, as well as the ball movement in all the games the Celtics have been able to win. Uh, I think my key thing uh, is something Adam touched on, just taking smart shots. Uh, as much as ball movement is important, I think even more important could be just not taking dumb shots, not letting it get to the last seconds of the shot clock so you have to heave something up from the corner. Just getting the ball into a position where Jalen Brown can get an open three or Jason Tatum can have a nice drive to the rim or you can lob the ball to Tice or Rob Williams. Just getting the best shots possible and not wasting any second chance opportunities, not wasting any shots in transition, just making the most of every possession you have on offense. And the defense will obviously be there. And the Celtics have been really good this uh, series about keeping that intensity up. And hopefully the ball movement can come back too, because I think that is really uh, crucial tonight. But uh, I would say for me, it's just taking smart shots uh, overall as a team. But, uh, yeah, I think. There's not much else to talk about for Game 7. I'm pretty happy with where we left off. Sam, you got anything else? Um, do, you, do you guys feel confident? I mean, it's hard to feel confident in any situation. But I don't know. I don't know what it is, man. I just feel like the Celtics are just going to come to play. It just it's, – it's something I've said, like, all season. And, Jack, you can attest to this, you know. When it, when it really matters, this team seems to come to play. And yeah. they play up to the game or down to the game. And it's a big game tonight. I – I just feel like they can't not come out and play hard. And Brad Stevens had a quote uh, yesterday. He said he slept the best he's slept in a long time. So, you know, because he was uh, satisfied with the performance in Game 6, the effort that he got from his guys. 
So that's a good sign too. But I, I think Brad's going to make whatever improvements he needs to have made. Nick Nurse will as well. So we are going to see some kind of game tonight. And unfortunately, the Raptors are not a team to just lay down. So even if the first half's good, you got to brace yourself. I agree. Adam, final thoughts, game seven? Yeah, I mean, the Celtics are 3-1 in the last four games. Um, that's the be-all and end-all of where they are at the moment. They, In my opinion, they came into this game as favourites. They have more star power. They should have better closers than what the Raptors do. And for this season to not be classed as... Not yeah, as a disappointment, then they need to see this game out. And I feel like Brad Stevens is the right coach to make those adjustments. And if Tatum, Brown, and Kemba are all fired up and all playing on their complete A game, this should be a comfortable victory. That but we haven't seen all three of them have an A game at the same time more than once this series. Yeah, I mean, if there's any night for them to all be on their A game, it's tonight. So. Uh, I know I'm a ball of anxiety right now, but uh, Sam seems to be confident, so I guess I'll have to be confident to uh, match that energy. So <laughs> uh, I'm just praying they can well, come One out. more thing I want to talk about. Yeah. I, they were talking about it on uh, 98.5 this morning, the local radio station here, Adam. I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. They, uh, Toucher and Rich were talking. Oh, it was yesterday. I'm sorry. They talked to Mike Gorman. They, both, they talked to Danny Ainge as well about this. Danny didn't have as much of a concrete answer as Mike Gorman had an opinion about it, but Robin Hayward uh, posted on Instagram when Gordon was going back to the bubble. She said, basically, next time you, I see you, you won't be the only boy. So does that sound like to you guys she, she's giving him a blessing to stay and potentially play during childbirth? I mean, look, man, Robin's uh, usually <laughs> been quite good at responding. She is something else. She's been quite good at responding to me whenever I've asked her questions or reached out for something. Uh, I reached out about that and got, uh, I haven't heard back, which means mind your damn business, which is fair enough. Everyone's entitled to a bit of privacy. I wouldn't read too much into that. I wouldn't read, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it was a reach. Everyone's entitled to, you know, we're talking about the birth of a child. Yeah, Um, I don't expect him to miss it. It's just, you know, there's starting to be talk of it, I guess. Yeah, and it was a very cryptic way, but maybe she just worded it that way. Maybe it was just the wording, and people have taken that wording at face value. I personally do not see any reason why he would miss the birth, unless he feels like he owes the team something for for going down with an injury. But they have to see this game out before that discussion even becomes prevalent. Very Um, true. So I've kind of put that to the back of my mind until this game's done. Once this game's done, then obviously that's going to be a huge talking point, especially now Hayward's cleared, quarantined, and there's a chance he'll be in the arena and playing in street clothes today. Um, I'd, I'd assume so. So he's definitely on the right timeline. It just sucks, dude. The Carl Lowry had an ankle sprain and made it back for game one with a grade two tear or a grade two sprain. Hayward has a great free sprain and he's out for like two damn months. It's just his bad luck, man. He's had a really high couple of years. It sucks. Very yeah, true. So unlucky. Uh, when I read the Robin Hayward, uh, I think Instagram story it was, uh, I took it as, okay, the next time she sees him will be at the birth of their child when the boy is there. Uh, so that's just how I personally took it. I can't see a world where Brad Steve, uh, sorry, Gordon Hayward misses the birth of his child. It is a little weird to me that he came back to the bubble at all. Because, like, 
the timeline of when she's due or in all the reports. Well, that's what, that's what they were saying on the radio. Yeah. To, to play devil's advocate here, um, you know, they were saying, well, like, maybe he thinks to himself, this is my best chance to win a championship, should they win today. Uh, best chance to play in the finals. They mentioned the Celtics-Lakers rivalry that could potentially be renewed in the finals here. So it's it's definitely something to think about, for sure. Um, I mean, I personally would completely understand if he did not play because his child's being born. I mean, it's a very big event. Of course, you're... It's a no valid way. excuse. <laughs> yeah, it's a valid excuse. Like, no one should have a problem with it. It's just a question if if he does decide that he does want to play. Like, that would be something that would raise some eyebrows, I guess. It would have to. He would have to feel some kind of way about the team's chances, I feel like. I mean, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. If you do leave for the birth of your child, there's going to be a section of supporters that um, drag you over the coals for it. If right. you don't, there'll be a completely different section of supporters that drag you over the coals for it. Um, it's a lose-lose situation when you're at this level, this phase in such a abnormal kind of environment. Abnormal. Like, this is all uncharted territory for everybody. But for me, I just think that no matter what your job is, no matter what the expectations are, when a child's being born and it's yours, you're there. Um, that's my personal opinion. But I wouldn't I hate him if he chose to stay. I wouldn't hate him if he chose to stay. I just yeah. don't I don't envision that happening. He's a very big family man. Um, so I just can't see that being a possibility right now. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I feel like just it, it's the birth of your child. You have to be there. It's one of those life events, uh, in my opinion. So I, I can't see a situation where he stays in the bubble instead instead of going back but it's just again a little weird that he left it uh i mean came back to the bubble and all but either way uh game seven tonight more important before we get into any of the hayward talk uh winning this advancing to the conference fire uh finals <laughs> to face off against the miami heat of all teams but uh that being said this is where we're gonna leave it off here i think good place to wrap it up talking about hayward game seven uh any last things you want to say, Adam? Tell people what you got going on, where to follow you, all that good stuff. Yeah, man, for sure. There's a bunch. I can list it all. Um, you find me at Celtics Blog, obviously, for written work. You can find me on the Celtics Blog podcast every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Find me over at the Hoops Boy podcast for CLNS Media once a week on YouTube at the Hoops Boy. Then I've got my newsletter completely free to subscribe. Please subscribe. It makes me very happy when I see those emails come in. That's... <laughs> That's the Clover Disclosure, and there'll be an upcoming YouTube channel under the same name for that too. Uh, so I'm constantly busy, constantly churning that content. Follow me on Twitter and IG at Adam Taylor NBA, and uh, it's all love, man. Love having you on the show. Really appreciate it. Again, we always say this: we quite literally would not be doing this podcast if it wasn't for you introducing us to each other. So always got to thank you for that. Uh, make sure to check out Adam's everything. The Clover Disclosure, I personally love. I read that. Uh, whenever it comes out, that's my personal favorite, but all of his work is great. Uh, you can follow me at Bannertown Jack, at Bannertown USA uh, is our website, me and Sam, uh, and that underscore from the Raptors is the podcast. That's all on Twitter. Uh, you can find us under some of the same handles at Instagram, uh, YouTube, everywhere you go. Uh, so that being said, Sam, wrap us up here. All right. Um, you can follow me at Bannertown Sam. I've recently um, put away the mantle of being a lazy bum, and I've started to write again. I have two <laughs> articles that have been out this week, I believe. Uh, the most recent one came out this morning. He's to Game 7. I'm sure you care exactly what I think they should do. 
if you didn't hear it on the podcast today. Um, yeah, so that's our show for today. Bye.